Have you ever felt like the work you were supposed to love is instead sucking your soul and you aren't making the impact you always dreamed of making? If so, you aren't alone. From broke and underemployed to six figures plus, powered only by daydreams and grit, I realized I was burning out and my values of freedom, purpose, and making an impact were taking the backseat to my wallet. I realized that I needed to build my own field guide to awesome from the inside out. So I gave it all up and I traveled the world to rediscover what was most important to me and create a business that filled my pockets, filled my soul, and allowed me to multiply my impact. But the question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey and find out as we build our community of experts and share the secrets of success from the inside out. My name is Trina Sarekia, and this is The Field Guide to Awesome. Welcome back to The Field Guide to Awesome, folks. Last episode, we spoke with Stephen Corley Randell. Stephen is a California licensed architect who specializes in residential work for more than three decades. His projects are built throughout California as well as across the country. His current focus is on helping other creative professionals build careers to love by focusing on four pillars of success, passion, persistence, patience, and payoff. It's not what you think, so if you missed it, make sure to go back and check it out. But don't go yet, folks. This episode is an excerpt from the Allies for Racial Justice Summit 2020 interview I did with Dr. Melissa McDonald. Melissa McDonald, or Dr. Mack, is a chiropractor in the Twin Cities. She specializes in sport and cares for athletes at all levels, and she works to ensure that everyone who wants to play can. She is the host of the Mac Performance Podcast, which is a health and wellness show to help you become a more adultier adult. Let's welcome Dr. Melissa McDonald from the Allies for Racial Justice Summit 2020. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me on the Allies for Racial Justice Summit. I'm so happy you were able to join me today. I am incredibly excited to be here. Well, I I introduced you right before you came on. And I wanted to know if you wanted to share anything else about yourself in relation to racial justice. Um, Yeah, we're gonna have to edit that. I just got nervous. So um, (laughs) I wanted to know, yeah. I wanted to know if you wanted to share anything else about your experience in regards to racial justice. So, I grew up in a unique situation and I don't think actually I don't think it's that unique it's just unique once you realize what it is and I grew up in a very white privileged scenario where I lived in a gated community so predominantly my entire neighborhood was white I went to private school my entire school was white when we moved from that area up into northern Michigan we moved to an area where, again, diversity was at a minimum. I didn't get to experience true diversity until I moved to Minnesota, and now I live in the Twin Cities, which, considering what happened in May, you kind of know I got a big awakening for what's going on. So it's definitely been an eye-opening experience for me for recognizing when I've had privilege and didn't know or didn't, I had the privilege, but I didn't know it was privilege at the time. And that 
I now can utilize my privilege to help people in a way that I didn't realize I had that kind of power. Hmm. So was the Minnesota riots the first time you realized that you had It was probably the, no, I mean, growing up, I knew I came from an affluent family. My parents have been married now 36 years. I knew I had a very comfortable, I wanted for nothing. I graduated undergrad with no debt because my parents supported me. Like I knew I had privilege, but I also always thought, oh, but. I'm understanding. I love people. Like, I'm not racist. I don't do things, but I never, I never went to protests. I never got involved in ways of looking at social injustice. My husband is a former auxiliary police commander. He was a veteran. So in 2015, when Kaepernick was kneeling, and I was working with a football team that was kneeling on the sideline. I did not appreciate those players for taking that stance. And I didn't know why I didn't like it other than, oh, you're disrespecting the flag. But I didn't take the time to actually process why they felt that it was necessary. And when I did sit down and think about it, it made me uncomfortable. It made me really uncomfortable with the fact that I couldn't Dis disprove what they were saying and why it wasn't necessary for them to be kneeling. Mm. Yeah. And I think that comes to having difficult conversations, even difficult conversations with ourselves. It really is. It, I was completely against kneeling and then the riots happened. And it's like, dear God, I am one of those people that pushed away the peaceful protest because I didn't like it. I did, it upset me and now they're rioting as they should, as they absolutely should be rioting because you know what? I as a white person cannot tell them what social injustice is going on. Just as someone can't tell me when it's, when I'm being sexually harassed. That is not, I am not in the minority. I don't get to decide what is or isn't racial injustice. But I need to be okay with sitting there and going, oh my gosh, this is horrible. How can I hear this community? How can I listen and be a voice of support versus something against it, even if it's subconscious? Yes, and there's so much wrapped into what you just spoke about both with the discomfort and being at peace with the discomfort and exploring that discomfort in relation to white fragility, right? Oh, God. The, really the biggest thing that made me uncomfortable, and this harkens back to my wedding. We, were, we got married on a small island back in Michigan it has a heavy immigrant population in the summer that come in from the Caribbean and are workers within the hotels and banquet halls. So here I am at my beautiful wedding, eating my dinner, having a great time. And my husband all of a sudden 
grabs my knee and I'm like, what, what babe, what's going on? And he looks at me and he's like, this is a wedding of 50 white people all being served by black people. And I just sat there in horror of not even having realized that that type of environment had been created simply because we were an affluent white family wanting to get married on this island. And having it brought to the forefront of my mind, I, I became very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable at my own wedding because we had that disparity of it was an all white wedding party because we only had family there and we only had black servers ah it yeah. was it was horrible it, it sounds incredibly uncomfortable and i think one of the things that we as white people are challenged with is when things are uncomfortable, oftentimes we don't look at it. And just as you said earlier, it, at first, you didn't look into why it made you uncomfortable, why you didn't want to look at it and examine it. And that discomfort, and for many people, feeling guilt or shame about it, turns them inward. How true was that for you at the time? It does put, it did put me on the defensive because especially like going back to the Kaepernick and the kneeling, I, I'm a veteran's wife. Don't, don't kneel during the national anthem. My husband was in the military. Don't, don't do that. Not, and then my husband looked at me and he was like, the whole point is that they're allowed to kneel and that's why I went and served is so that they could check yourself. And finding out you're wrong automatically puts you on the defensive. Mm. When you're shown to have been wrong, been proven without a shadow of a doubt, automatically you want to fight it, which is what happens a lot of times on social media. Yeah. Someone makes a comment, it makes you uncomfortable, you lash out, post something you sh probably shouldn't post, but you do it in a gut reaction versus sitting with the discomfort and actually processing, why is this upsetting? Am I truly wrong? Most likely you are. And how can I learn and grow from this? Because a lot of times on social media, the biggest thing is we don't want to be shown to be wrong and media that can be seen by thousands of friends is permanently there. So we're going to fight. And instead, we just need to quietly sit, reflect, and understand why what we posted is inappropriate. What I think was very interesting was that it was your husband who was the vet who was a police officer who called you out on that. And it made, made me tear up a little bit because, you know, this is what he fought for, the rights and the it's, freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Yeah, I think it, ha it has to do with 
sadly, the way I was raised. I come from a Southern family, very Southern. Uh, and frankly, even my cousin, who is four years younger than me, had a black nanny growing up. Very classic of the movie The Help. As horrifying as that is in this day and age, that's how I was raised. And I recognized immediately once I got out of that environment, oh my God, I am one of those white people that needs to check their privilege. I just didn't always have it blatantly put in front of me. So it's one of those things that I ask people, check my privilege for me. Tell me when I'm being stupid because I want to learn, I want to grow. And this summer, watching one social media after George Floyd was killed, and there was some upset, and the protest started, and they were very peaceful, but overall, social media was very quiet. Four or five days later, once there was significant unrest because the officers hadn't been arrested, there weren't charges, there wasn't a declaration of, hey, that was super incredibly wrong. They murdered that guy on camera. The riot started. And that's when social media blew up. Oh my God, they're burning this. They're breaking that. They're shattering this. And it's like, of course they are. Yeah. Of course they are. Their community has been murdered and battered time and time again. And we've done nothing but defend blue lives. And I love police officers. And I think ultimately, for the most part, they try to do the right thing. But there is such a systemic racism within that community that there needs to be major overhauls with retraining. The calls that they go on a lot of times are mental health. And a good example of how they've changed is with autistic calls. When they have a person with autism, in prior instances, there was significant police brutality, there was killings because this person doesn't respond to the stimulus of being yelled at and told to stop and told to lay down. Now, because of the number of white autistic people that were killed, there's cards, there's awareness. They change their approach instantaneously. But yet for years, for decades, we have still had systemic inherent racism in our society where a black person being pulled over by a cop probably is going to get arrested, probably going to be told they're resisting, and get beaten. And we wonder why that community is rioting now. Mm. Yeah. With all the peaceful protests that have happened in the past and social media being silent and only speaking up when they see the violence. You know, it's, it's the, the peaceful protests are almost not being seen. It makes it easy for those who resist making that change in social justice to ignore it. it. Makes it easy for it to be ignored. And then all of a sudden it can't be ignored. And the things that made them uncomfortable, even when with the peaceful protest, 
are they're now unable to ignore them. And I just so, hope we learned from lo this. Yeah, I, I hope so as well. But I think there's still a long road to go. Uh, one of the things that I want to give you kudos on is that once you had that difficult conversation with your husband, and I think even a little bit before that, you were starting to ask yourself why you felt uncomfortable and explore that discomfort. And perhaps not even blaming yourself anymore, not shaming yourself anymore, but really pulling it out into the light. And I think we, we spoke about this a little earlier um, off before this interview, where once you know better, you can do better. I think there's still a lot of ignorance. Now, ignorance not being bad, not being a bad thing, not putting good or bad judgments on it, but just not knowing. But once you learn that you're making a mistake, you have a choice. You can either choose to do the same thing or you can choose to do something different, make a better decision. And so I think you did stuff like that. What does that look like to you? So for me, this has really been the first significant protest and riot where it wasn't just on the TV. It was my community. It was 10 miles away from my apartment. It was two miles away from my best friend. Like this drastically affected everything that was going on. I didn't get to participate in any ways because I was recovering from COVID. So I just had to observe. And I think that ultimately was the best thing for me to sit quietly and listen and actually understand what's going on with this community. Because I work with people of color. I work with black individuals. I love and adore them and I have so much fun, but I never sat down to process the fact that I have never feared for my life being pulled over by a cop. I have never decided to go to a different gas station because there's a cop in the parking lot. I've actually gone, ooh, there's a cop in the parking lot. I can go to that gas station and be safe. I've never felt uncomfortable walking the streets and seeing a cop drive by. I've never felt that fear and that lack of understanding from someone who's in power. And listening to my friends describe their gut-wrenching fear of just seeing a police officer because they don't know if they're going to fit an arbitrary description. They don't know if they're going to be profiled. They don't know what's been reported or accused of them simply for maybe being in a neighborhood that they aren't normally there. I've gone walking around the neighborhoods of where I live, gone up and down streets, never worried about having the cops called on me. There were things that I just took 
as a privilege and never fully understood the fear that their community lives with. Even within medicine, I work at a university, I'm a chiropractor, I teach future chiropractors, and it's a whitewash. It's an absolute whitewash. But yet, if you look at the media that the school puts out and promotes, every time they have a person of color that they can take a picture of and use it to show diversity, they do so. But yet, when I look at my student body, I might have one or two in a class of 120, and that's not okay. Hmm. Yeah, recently I had a conversation with another of my guests on the summit, Barry Reeves, and we spoke a lot about creating pipelines to bring people of color, people who are disadvantaged, and giving them the same opportunities that white people have. Now, and it's not just can they get into school, it's creating the, the pipeline from even starting at grade school, even younger, to make it easier for them to get into school, to have the same opportunities that we have, whether that's, hey, you can go to college. Oh, are you interested in chiropractic? Do you even know what it is? Yeah, creating those pipelines, it would... It, it honestly is a radical shift. We need to stop. The first thing that would need to be addressed is schools and school districts and how school districts are formed and how money is dispersed based on the ta property taxes of those school districts. Because even with brown versus Board of Education and ending school segregation, they immediately then went in and did city planning to basically resegregate the schools using district lines and make sure that the higher tax bracket all went to the white school and the lower tax bracket all went to the minority school and thus prevented them having the same opportunities, the same access to extracurriculars, the same access to having advanced placement classes. There would need to be a drastic overhaul of the US education system with the doing away of private schools, the redefining of districts and the redistribution of the tax dollars to go equally to schools and not just, oh, you're in this district, so you get all the money. Well, this district has none. Mm. And that's going to be a heck of a challenge that the U.S. government's going to have to assist with when it comes to helping redefine those schools. Is it going to happen in our lifetime? I hope so. But right now, the biggest thing that I think we can do individually is potentially go and volunteer and tutor students. 
uh, I'm going to be trying to look into those opportunities because I'm just thinking about it right now. Like, what, what's a skill set I have? I'm good at math. I could tutor people in math. I couldn't tutor people in English, but I could definitely tutor at least old school math. I don't know about the new math. I'm going to be honest. Mm, but yeah. And science. I could tutor in those two things easily and provide them with the ability to maybe get into an advanced placement class, get the additional resources, because maybe they don't have any help at home. I don't know. But I think if each of us take one step into making a difference, one of my very good friends here, and I'm hoping she gets to be on the summit, uh, designed a website called Amplify.Black. And it basically is a small, bez- a small business directory that is global for Black-owned businesses. So you can directly go into it and find small businesses that are local to your area. Maybe you know of one that's not listed. Go get it listed on the directory. It's a free listing for them. And really, we need to be doing a better job of when we need to go buy a gift for a party or redecorate our house. Why aren't we shopping local anyways? Big box realtors, retailers, oh my gosh, that word. Big box retailers are not struggling. But in today's pandemic, those small businesses are because they may have not had the resources prior to get an online shopping environment. Yeah. And everything that you just talked about over the past couple of minutes was really about being an ally and participating in activism in simple ways that you can roll into your life. One of the things that I really wanted to really talk about during the summit is how can we wrap up activism into our own individual lives without it taking over, but yet it be, have it be a natural part of who we are and how we express ourselves. The very nature of the word activism is active and it's not holding a sign or marching once. It's not just calling your senators once. It is an active part of your experience. And there are ways that we as white people with privilege can use that privilege to support an allyship with our black brothers and sisters, with the black community. And the two things that you mentioned, shopping local, shopping with black retailers, visiting um, the Amplify.Black website to find those retailers, um, volunteering in community projects, supporting the black community those are ways that we can really work into our daily lives without it taking over. We can still be ourselves. We can still follow our, our joy and create wonderful, profitable lives, but still give back. Yeah. It's one of those things where you actually, if you sit down and think, how could I contribute to my community? Not, how can I contribute to the black community? Because ultimately, if we build up all aspects of the community, everyone wins. Mm -hmm. 
So if we go out and we help a underprivileged school that's majority of minorities get into a better environment that builds a better school district, that brings in new growth to that community. So really getting out into your community and growing the youth and helping them expand their knowledge only benefits the community you're living in as a whole. Yeah, it's like a brain trust. Thank you very much, Melissa. How can people find out more about you and what you do? Well, I am, okay, I'm a chiropractor in the Twin Cities. My clinic is Mobility Agility Chiropractic Performance. And if you're not in the Twin Cities, I run a podcast called Mac Performance. And that's really a podcast about being a better adult or, you know, how to become an adultier adult is kind of the model we go with. It covers multitudes of topics for health and wellness, as simple as how to overcome emotional eating, the vegan diet, to exercising and getting rid of the dad bod, to really managing stress and personal finance since finance can become a huge stressor in your life. So any topic that is health and wellness related, we cover and I have global guests speaking on those topics because I by far am not an expert in all of them. So those are two easy places. I'm also on Instagram at MacP underscore clinic and at Facebook at Mobility Agility Chiropractic Performance. And listeners and audience, I will be sharing all of that information in the show notes. And I'll also um, share some links to some resources that Dr. Mack has been sharing with has shared with us, as well as the link to amplify.black. Go there. Buy stuff. I just got macarons. So good. So oh, good. Macarons. Thank you again, Melissa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be here today. Stay tuned, folks. Next week, we talk with Alyssa Hall. Alyssa Hall is an African-American Cuban woman, single mom up to a four-year-old, and a life coach. Although originally a coach for moms, she has shifted her focus during the resurgence of the Black Lives Matters movement to help non-Black women become actively anti-racist. I'll be sharing an excerpt from her upcoming interview that I did with her for the Allies for Racial Justice Summit 2020, August edition, where we talk in depth about spiritual bypassing and race. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. Hey, thanks for listening. I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can immediately implement in your life or business. If so, one of the easiest ways you can help me and multiply your impact is to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and help me reach other heart-centered and socially conscious entrepreneurs like you. As a special thank you, when you leave your rating and review, you'll win a 15-minute free consultation meeting with me to talk specifically about your business. Just send me an email with an image or a screenshot of your rating and we'll schedule the time. Thanks again and be awesome.